You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with John Mackey, the CEO and co-founder of Whole Foods Market and the best-selling author of Conscious Capitalism, Liberating the Heroic Spirit of Business. John led Whole Foods from a single store in Austin, Texas to a Fortune 500 company, which went public in 1992 and was purchased by Amazon in 2017. Today, Whole Foods has more than 500 stores and 95,000 team members in three countries. However, John's journey to success wasn't straightforward or simple. He had to pivot, adapt, and face challenges, like almost getting fired as the CEO of the company he co-founded, the failure of wholepeople.com, and many other obstacles in his journey. But as he overcame these difficulties, John learned how to lead, a lesson that would earn him a spot on Fortune's world's 50th greatest leaders list and would play a role in Whole Foods making Fortune's 100 best companies to work for list for 20 consecutive years. In today's episode, we yap about how John had a huge wake-up call and how he was almost fired from his role as CEO at Whole Foods. We'll learn how he transformed into a conscious leader to turn it all around and how you can too with the learnings from his latest book, Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business. We'll also discuss the importance of finding a team that complements your strengths and makes up for your weaknesses. And we go deep on the four pillars of conscious capitalism, higher purpose, stakeholder orientation, conscious leadership, and conscious culture. Before we start the conversation, I did want to take a moment to invite everyone to my new text community, Yap Society, powered by Slick Text. Sign up to get daily motivation, exclusive content, and help us make decisions on the podcast, like what topics we should focus on going forward and who I should interview. Yap is for you, so join Yap Society on Slick Text to shape our podcast and our community for the future. Text Yap to 28046, that's Y-A-P to 28046, or just check out the show notes to join. All right, so let's get into the episode. If you're looking to start a company or if you want to transform into a conscious leader, you won't want to miss this episode with John Mackey. Hey, John, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Hala. Good to be here. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm super excited to have you here today. I can't wait to hear all about conscious leadership. I think this topic is super hot right now in the business world. And for those of you who are tuning in and don't know about John, he is the CEO and co-founder of Whole Foods Market. It started as a small grocery store in Austin, if you can believe it. And now it's a grocery empire that we all know and love, over 500 stores. And there's so much to get into in terms of your work at Whole Foods, conscious capitalism and leadership. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to warm things up by learning about your background, getting a little personal. So 
after I was doing some research, I found out that you came from Houston. You grew up in Houston and your family was pretty financially well off. Your father, Bill Mackey, he was an accounting professor. He later became the CEO of a healthcare company that sold for nearly $1 billion in the 1980s. And so I saw that you had a complicated relationship with your father, but I must also imagine that he had a big positive influence on your career. So I'd love to kind of hear about your relationship and the influence your father had on your career. Yeah, my dad did have a big impact on me. And we were close when I was a child and he was a college professor and uh, he was he was a good dad. He played baseball, played football, take us to football games. He was a professor at Rice University. So I learned about losing at an early age since Rice lost almost every sport they played in. And then when he left Rice and he went into business, more or less, he got hired by his clients and he rose up. And as you said, he became CEO of a, a successful hospital management company. But when I started Safeway and then Whole Foods Market, I really didn't have very much business experience. I studied whatever I wanted to in college. I never finished. I took 120 hours of electives and I studied, but I was a voracious reader so and still am. I just read, 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 read. But I just didn't take any business classes. So when I got going with my girlfriend, Renee, we were living in this co-op, housing co-op, this where we met each other. And then I had a food awakening at the co-op. That's when I learned how to cook. I be- it was a vegetarian co-op, and I became a vegetarian. Now I've been vegan for 19 years. And I became the food buyer. I just got so passionate about natural and organic foods. This was kind of when it was the kind of at the early, the very early birth of trying to move away from processed foods to really natural whole foods. And Renee and I started that first store up Safeway, vegetarian store. It was very pure, vegetarian. We didn't really sell sugar, white flour, alcohol, and and, uh, we didn't even sell coffee. And as I like to say, we also didn't sell much of anything because we we started the business with $45,000 in capital and we lost 23000 of it in the first year, despite Renee and I living on about $200 a month and living in the store. We lived on the third floor of the store. And uh, But, but the, we did better in the second year We I because I was reading business books left and right, everything I could get my hands on. We eked out a $5,000 profit in year two. And I realized, well, gosh, we need a bigger location because this one's competitively disadvantaged. And I don't think the board would have given us, the investors would not have let us expand. Their attitude was, hey, well, we finally made a little bit of money. Let's make some more money and we'll talk about it in a few years. I didn't know if we had a few years because of the competitive situation in Austin. And they said, well, if you can find new investors. And I think their strategy was, who'd be stupid enough to invest in this business? You'll never find anybody else. But... We did, and we found some other investors, and we were able to relocate the store to a much bigger location, and we merged with another small natural food store, and they didn't want to be called Safer Way, and we didn't want to be called Clarksville Natural Groceries, so we came up with the name Whole Foods Market. That store, unlike Safer Way, we sold meat, we sold seafood, we sold sugar, we sold white flour, we sold alcohol, we sold coffee. And that store, within just a few months of opening, became the highest volume natural food store in the United States based on all the inside information I had of the industry at that time because I knew all the players. It was such a small little industry. And it was hugely successful. But I just didn't still didn't know much about business. So my dad, that's really pivoting back to the answer to that question, 
yeah, my father, he was really good at business. And, and this was so great for our relationship because I went into kind of a, he was my mentor. And I'd say for the first 16 years at uh, Safeway and Whole Foods, I really never made a major decision without checking, running it by him. And I like to say that that was a very good thing because I would have driven the Whole Foods bus off a cliff more than one time. And my dad always grabbed the wheel and said, you know, what are you doing? Get, get away from the edge. Let's, uh, let's, let's get in the middle of the road here. And so I really do think I would have probably failed as a business person if my dad hadn't been there and helped me and taught me. And meanwhile, I'm still continuing to read crazy amount of business books. And yeah, really within a few years, I, I began to know what the heck I was doing. And my dad kept teaching me. And uh, when I finally ended the mentorship 16 years later, we were alienated for about a year or two because I fired him off our board. And and uh, he was in a different place in his life. He just, he wanted to, uh, he'd made so much money. He made much more money at Whole Foods than he ever made in his own business career. And so he didn't want to lose it. And I understood that, but I really wanted to grow the company. So what we were fighting about was the rate of growth. I wanted to grow much, much faster than he did. He was very conservative. And I finally, I, I said, Dad, you need to get off the board, and I want you to sell half your Whole Foods market stock, because then you'll take all the money you ever need the rest of your life, but leave half of it in, because I want you to be pulling for me, and we're going to grow this thing, and I'm going to make that other half worth a lot more than the half that you sold. And, and after he left, within about a year, we had doubled the stock price at Whole Foods, because we'd, we'd already gone public. And so he had gotten his full, full investment back, even though he'd sold half of it. And even though he was a little upset, we got, we, we stayed very close. I still sought advice from him. I just didn't run everything by him. And so it had a happy ending. Yeah, that does sound, it's like it's a, a win-win scenario at least. And it's, it sounds like he was a great mentor to you. So that's great. So I'm curious, you know, you dropped out of college which I didn't realize before I really studied into you. And it's pretty unique to be such a, you know, there's lots of successful CEOs who dropped out, but majority are like, you know, MBAs and, and went to Harvard and things like that. So what was that like for you dropping out of school? It was a very different era. This was in the middle, this was the middle of the 1970s. And uh, I matriculated, I went back and forth between two universities, Trinity and and uh, University of Texas in Austin. And I mean, I didn't think about it the way you're asking the question because I was on a pursuit of knowledge. I wanted to know, figure out the meaning of life. I, I was so, I was learning at such a rapid rate that even though I didn't study any business, I never thought I wasn't well-educated. I, I was better educated than anybody I knew. I just was a very diverse I mean, I used to go to the library eight to 10 hours a day and just read all day long. And I just audited classes I was interested in. So I got a fabulous education after I took control of it and just started studying where my curiosity and my mind took me. Yeah, I don't have an MBA, but yeah, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that so many entrepreneurs really aren't necessarily, they're, they're eager to get going on their businesses. I mean, in, in my generation, you got you got Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Michael Dell. These guys all, Peter Thiel's bribing people not to finish college. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who, who don't finish and don't get a BA. Or So I don't think I, it, this, was, this was happening in my era. And I, don't, I can't speak for it today. 
the skills that, I'm not saying the skills you learn in business school aren't valuable, but I don't really think they teach you how to be an entrepreneur. I think you've either got the fire in your belly for that or you don't. And um, I did, and so I couldn't wait to go back and study business. I was gonna, I was gonna figure it out as I went along. And frankly, it worked pretty well for me. Yeah. So you ended up starting Safeway, like you mentioned. You dropped out of college to start it. You got $45,000 from your friends and family. What was it like opening up that first store and taking on such a big risk? What was that like for you? You know, it's interesting you ask me this because I'm in the process. I've begun writing the, the story of Whole Foods. So that's my next book. It's going to be the whole story. And so I've been revisiting. I did a whole chronology of the history of the company. So it's all kind of fresh in my mind. And, you know, what's interesting is that it's easy to remember the very beginning of the business. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 44 years ago, but I remember it clearly. And, um, and I remember, obviously, what's happened the last few years. And then there's the, there's the middle period where I can remember it, but I have to really focus on it. And so opening Safeway was an incredibly, one of the happiest days of my life. I mean, it was like, we have a store. This is amazing. People, and I liked it. I liked retail. You order things, it comes in, you stock it on your shelves. Customers come in, you get to, in a small business, you get to know them, you become friends with them, the people you're working with, you're friends with. So it's a community of people that share similar values, beliefs, and uh, we were all really young. I mean, part of the reason I remember it is because, you know, I was 24 years old and my girlfriend was 20. And, and that's an amazing part of, I mean, all stages of life are good, but those early 20s are particularly interesting because you're, everything's fresh and new and you're excited and you have a lot of energy. And, you know, I don't think I was taking a risk. I didn't think about it that way. I was just doing something I wanted to do. And if it failed, well, I'd do something else. I, did, I wasn't... I wasn't very attached to the outcome, so I never, I wasn't afraid. And I think as general rule, most entrepreneurs, it's not about risk. I don't think they think about it that way. That's how other people think entrepreneurs must think. Mostly they just, they're passionate about something and they believe they can, they'll figure it out as they go along. I, I didn't think I knew anything much about business, but I thought I was smart and I thought I would learn. And I thought I would, once you're interested in something, Holla, you just, you'd learn it so much faster than if you're not interested in it. And I also think, I experienced something as an entrepreneur that serendipity occurs frequently. You seem to meet the right people at the right time. Things, circumstances seem to arrange themselves so that things work out. It's kind of like you're on this journey and the right people show up at the right time with and you learn the right things at the right time. And you make some mistakes, but you learn from them as well. So I guess what I'll say it was a lot of fun. Starting a business is hard, but it's so much fun. It's building a company. I mean, I'm doing it for 44 years, right? There's nothing I've done in my life that's been as much fun as building Whole Foods. So Whole Foods is one of the biggest companies in the world right now. And you're a founder, not only a CEO, you founded this company and you're an entrepreneur. So I'd love to hear from you, like what qualities personality wise do you think contributed to all of the success for you? I mean, I think there are probably many things, but first of all, I think I have a, I have a very high degree of self-awareness, meaning I know what I'm good at. But I also, I'm quite aware that I'm not good at many things. And I've had the wisdom to be able to, I think when you're passionate about something, you attract people to, people want purpose. And if you're purpose-driven and passionate, you do attract 
people that share your vision and values and they get you get them excited and they want to play along with you. So that's one of the things that I've been able to do. Well, I'm just a very I'm a very intense, passionate person and that is attractive to many people. And so I've never had a problem attracting people to want to play the same game I'm playing. It's like this is going to be fun. Let's do it. Come on, get on. That's going to be we're going to have a blast. And so that's one thing. I've and so that's important because because I've been self-aware about what I'm not good at. I've been able to attract a lot of people to Whole Foods and hold on to them that had many talents and abilities that I didn't have. It takes a team to build a successful business. This, the media glorifies the entrepreneur as some kind of genius. And sure, people like Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Sergey Brin, these are, these are obviously brilliant people. There's no question about it. But I promise you, if you look under the hood, you'll see there's the Eric Schmidt at Google and there's, and there's the Steve Ballmer at <laughs> Microsoft or there's, the, there's always the team. And I recognize that and I built a great team, a team that work, we work together for decade after decade. The talent rises up. We learn together. We shared in our successes. We shared in our failures. So the self-awareness is to know that I'm not really that good at hiring people. I'm good at attracting people, but I'm not good at hiring them because it comes, it's a weakness because it comes out of one of my strengths. And that strength is, is I see the good in people. I see their potential and that speaks to them. And they want, it's like he sees me and he knows what I'm capable of. And so people want to live up to that too. It also means though that I oftentimes overestimate people. My longtime chief financial officer, Glenda Flanagan, who I worked with for 29 years before she retired a few years ago, Glenda was really good at seeing through people's mask and their, and their, and their pretenses and their bullshit. And so I, she was so good at it. I learned basically if Glenda didn't want to hire somebody, I didn't want to hire him either. <laughs> and, the, and, and if she wanted to hire somebody, I trusted her judgment because she almost never made any mistakes. So Building people that complement your weaknesses, I think, is one of my secrets, and I think that's a secret for anyone. One thing I notice happens to some entrepreneurs, particularly young ones that make a lot of money quick, their egos can go out of control. They, they, I had my face slammed into the ground repeatedly. Starting in the first year, I lost half the capital entrusted to me. I mean, we almost went bankrupt in the first year. And then in the second, and we start Whole Foods, we had a flood that almost wiped out the company, uh, you know, nine months after we opened up, and we were lucky to survive. I've had repeated times. In, in 2008, our stock price dropped 90%. We were trading at two times our cash flow. We could have been taken over by anybody and paid for it with our own money in just two years. So I've repeatedly had setbacks, failures, times when I, I got my head kind of cracked, cracked down to the ground. And that teaches you a certain amount of humility. It's like, and in and a, and a sense that you're very fortunate, and gratitude comes along that, well, here I am, I'm still alive, I'm still going, I'm still learning, I'm still growing. Lots of times I could have failed. So I think self-awareness, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at, and uh, attracting people, those are some of the things that have led to me to be successful. And now a quick break from our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. 
My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. <laughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And the other thing that I'm hearing as you're saying all this is your willingness to kind of adapt and pivot when necessary. So for example, you were willing to combine with another competitor, so to speak, and create Whole Foods. You were willing to sell ultimately to Amazon, knowing that it was in the best interest of your company. So talk to us about pivoting and the different pivots you've taken as an entrepreneur. One way to think about it, Hala, is that it's an adventure. You're, you're, you're launching on this adventure. You don't exactly, you might have some kind of business plan, which I always laugh at people's business plans because 
don't take them too seriously. They're, you need to do them because they're a good exercise in thinking through your business. But I've seen people take their business plan, like if they write it down, somehow or another that makes it real or true, permanent. It's not. It's simply a temporary roadmap, which you need to, to periodically throw away and write another one because the world's continually evolving and changing. So if you view it as an adventure, then you're on this adventure and you're going to, all these interesting things are going to happen. There's going to be twists in the road, unexpected setbacks, uh, unexpected opportunities that you never, so many businesses. I mean, a good example in Amazon, for example, the whole, a good part of the business success of Amazon is due to a lot of things, but one of them is uh, AWS. That, and that was never their, that wasn't their primary business. They almost sort of stumbled into it and it become one of the most important parts of the whole company now is, is AWS. It's very important, Amazon. But it, it came along. It wasn't written in their business plan. It was something that was sort of serendipitous that occurred. And Jeff, being such a brilliant guy, took advantage of that and got a guy like Andy Jassy, who's now the CEO, to do AWS. And the rest is sort of history. I think that happens all the time. And we had so many different opportunities at Whole Foods, and it's knowing which ones to take and which ones to not take. But it's fun that way. You're constantly learning and growing and discovering. And, it, and it's just it's the joy of the, of the adventure. Yeah. And one of the um, opportunities that I read about was Whole People, which was your first attempt at being Whole Foods online. So I'd love to talk about that experience, that failure, so to speak, because it's just so interesting. Now, millennials, including myself, all my groceries are bought on Amazon Whole Foods. I don't even go to the grocery store. And I think that's majority of well, my listeners. We're, we're, so losing, let's we're, talk losing, about we're losing money on all of you. It costs us $20 to make a delivery. <laughs> So wholepeople.com was back in the, I got so excited when the internet was, when the World Wide Web was, in, was really invented. And it was like, oh my God, I was like an early adopter. And I thought this is definitely going to change the world. And so we started wholepeople.com back in like, we started at wholefoods.com back in I think 1998. And then we acquired a mail order vitamin company called Amrion based in Boulder, Colorado. And I thought, you know what, we need to combine this with wholefoods.com and maybe we'll, this was a mistake. We changed the name because our slogan was whole foods, whole people, whole planet. You'll notice we have a foundation called the Whole Planet Foundation. Well, whole people was like, okay, well, we'll do whole people. We probably should have left it at wholefoods.com. That just shows you how little I knew about marketing and branding at that time. And we did whole people, and we had it was a big idea. We were we were in a lot of different categories, and and uh, we were actually just kind of ahead of our time, and and we were caught up in that whole internet land rush type of thing. We you gotta if you gotta get jump in now, you're never gonna be able to get into it. But I discovered a bunch of things. First of all, we were the market wasn't there. The only people that were using the World Wide Web back then, for the most part, were were techies, and uh, mostly guys, mostly techies. And they weren't necessarily interested in the products that we were selling. And they were just looking for deals because all these guys were getting venture capital money because they had these incredible, ridiculous valuations. And they, they didn't have a business plan. They often just had a couple of pages on a, on a computer that was their pitch deck, which is two or three pages. And, but they'd still raise money. And then they'd subsidize stuff with venture capital money. They're basically selling stuff below cost. 
in order to um, generate sales. And, and sometimes you can make the, the leap past the chasm there to build a business that will last. I mean, Amazon did, although I think, I think they probably came close to failure as well. But I remember when the great wipeout occurred when Pets.com and Drugstore.com and basically all of these generic uh, web URLs, they just started falling like dominoes. And Whole People was no different. Now, we didn't lose too much money from Whole Foods because we had funded most of it through venture capital money. But I, I was, I'd moved to Boulder. I was the CEO of both companies, but I, I put my president and chief operating officer in charge of Whole Foods, and I focused on Whole People. But really, seriously, after a year, I thought, this thing's not going to work, at least not anytime soon. And back then, today the market believes in a hybrid model, but back then in 1999, they believed in the pure plays, and they thought the hybrid model was a terrible idea. So unlike Whole Foods market capitalization, our stock price was getting killed because we were losing money on the internet. And they said, well, we don't want you, the, the people that bought Whole Foods didn't want us in the internet. It was new. They thought this was a distraction. And so uh, eventually I just realized, you look, this is killing our stock price. I don't know when we're going to make money. It may be years before this thing is financially viable. So we basically closed it down and sold off some of our intellectual capital to um, Gaim, Gaim.com. And we exited and I moved back to Austin. So let's transition to the main topic of today's episode, conscious leadership. I thought a great way to start this off was for you to explain the philosophy of conscious capitalism, which from one, my understanding, that's where the idea of conscious leadership really stems from. So you wrote a best-selling book called Conscious Capitalism. Can you unpack that idea for us? Sure, I can. The first thing is conscious capitalism is basically, it's capitalism. I'm going to state that very clearly. It's not some kind of socialism or some type of utopianism. It's based on capitalism. And it just recognizes that some things that are taken for granted are not ordinarily seen in business. That, that number one, the four pillars of conscious capitalism are the first pillar is that every business has the potential to have a higher purpose. It's like if you go to a, a party sometime and ask people, what do you think the purpose of business is? And people will look at you kind of odd with oddly. It's like, what do you mean, what's the purpose of business? Like, everybody knows the purpose of business. Purpose of business is to make money. It's like, that's an odd answer. If you ask what the purpose of a doctor is, they're very well paid. But the purpose of a doctor is not to make money. The purpose of a doctor is to help heal people. If you ask what the purpose of a teacher is, it's to educate. Purpose of an architect designs buildings, engineers construct things. Every one of the professions refers back to some type of value creation that they are doing for other people. And business put in this very narrow box, which is not flattering at all, which is it's just about the money. That's all business people care about is profits and money. And it's like, gee, it really not. Business is actually the greatest value creator in the world. Business creates far more value for other people than all the nonprofits and all the governments combined by exponentially more. And yet it doesn't get credit for it because the enemies of capitalism have put this label on it. It's just about profit. It's greed and selfishness and exploitation. So the first thing about conscious capitalism is to say, you have this potential for a higher purpose. And every business has a higher purpose, whether they're conscious of it or not. And that higher purpose comes into the value creation that they're doing for other people. So like Whole Foods' higher purpose is to nourish people in the planet. 
Amazon's higher purpose is to be the Earth's most customer-centric business. Google's higher purpose is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible. All the companies that you most admire have an articulated higher purpose, but they're generally not given credit for it, and they're generally continued to be criticized. So purpose is first. And the first chapter of conscious leadership, I might add, is put purpose first. And we'll get back to that. Second pillar of conscious capitalism, though, is all stakeholders matter. And by stakeholders, now, this is a tricky word because it's, it's been hijacked by people who hate capitalism and they're trying, to, they're trying to use it as a weapon. It's been weaponized. But stakeholders really just mean that it's not that it just means that the business has stakeholders that it creates value for. It has customers. It creates value for customers. It creates value for its employees. It creates value for suppliers. It creates value for investors. And it creates value for the communities that it's part of. And once you see this clearly, and then you can begin to see that there's an interdependence between these stakeholders. For example, at Whole Foods Market, we're retail business. So management's job is to first hire really good team members and make sure they're well-trained. And then once they're well-trained, their job is to help them be happy. Because if the team members are happy in their jobs, they're going to naturally create more happiness for the, they're going to serve the customers better and therefore help them to be happy. And if the customers are happy, the business flourishes and that's really good for the investors. So, and you can't really do any of this without having creating value for suppliers because they're the ones that produce everything that we're selling in our stores. So they're a very important stakeholder. And so it's like Conscious capitalism says you all the, all the major stakeholders matter. Manage the business in a conscious way so all the stakeholders are benefiting. They're all flourishing together. And you have this upward spiral. Higher And synergies begin to happen. It doesn't mean everybody has equal ownership of the business. No, the business is owned by the investors. The investors, they want returns on their, on their capital investment. But I, I, maybe a good way to put it to show you how profit's been misunderstood is the founder of stakeholder theory is Dr. Ed Freeman, who I consider a good personal friend. He's had a massive impact on me over the years. And Ed says that, you know, it's like my body has to produce red blood cells or I'll die, right? It doesn't follow the purpose of my life is to produce red blood cells. Similarly, business must make profits or it will fail. It will die. That's a simple fact. If it doesn't have profits... It's not going to be able to meet its payroll. It's not going to be able to buy new inventory. It's not going to pay the rent, pay the taxes. It's going to fail. So profits are essential for a business to exist. But it doesn't follow just because business must produce profits that that's why it exists. No. That may be how the shareholders and investors see it, but that's not what's interior to the business. What's interior to the business is its higher purpose, whatever it is, whatever its major value uh, value creation primarily for customers is all about. That's where the higher purpose leans. And every business should articulate that very clearly. If we want to defend business and capitalism, it starts with purpose. And then it starts with realizing all the stakeholders matter. That leads us to the third pillar, which is conscious leadership. Now, the reason I wrote conscious leadership books, like we have two chapters on conscious leadership and conscious capitalism. When I'd go out and talk about conscious capitalism, people come up to me afterwards and they said their favorite chapters in the book, besides purpose generally and stakeholders, they love the chapters on leadership. Couldn't we tell them more about that? Because if they're an entrepreneur or a business person, it's like, how do I do this? 
this is all great in theory. How do I actually do it and not just talk about it? What happens when times get tough? And so Conscious Leadership in a, it was written with the purpose of trying to help business people and entrepreneurs to be able to perform conscious capitalism. And that you can't do that without conscious leadership. And so I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. So I'll just skip on now to conscious culture. Conscious culture is very simple. Look, we're going to spend a lot, a high percentage of our lifetime at work. We should create cultures that really help people to flourish, help people to learn and grow, that are fun, that people are better off for being part of that culture, that, that when people leave Whole Foods, we want them to be, well, hopefully they'll, many of our people work with this for, you know, they just found their tribe and they never leave. But others, we want them to look back and say, you know, one of the best learning experiences I ever had was Whole Foods. That was a great company to work for. And I think Whole Foods does have a great culture. We were named one of the 100 best companies to work for for 20 consecutive years leading up to the merger with Amazon when we were no longer an independent company. So we really weren't eligible any longer. So um, that's, the, that's kind of what conscious capitalism is about. It's, it's purpose, stakeholders, leadership, and culture. Those are the four pillars that we built it around. Amazing. And I really, obviously, we're going to get into leadership and dig really deep on that. We're also going to touch a lot about culture, which are super interesting facets of everything that you talk about. So let's talk about your own personal transformation into conscious leadership. So as I was doing my studying about you in the late 2000s, you had a big turning point. It was a wake-up call in your career. You were nearly fired and removed from your position at CEO. So I'd love to hear about those uncertain moments when you knew that there were some difficult conversations that were coming up, what was going on through your head, and then how you evolved and grew as a conscious leader over the years? Well, I'm going to do this in detail in the book. So um, you'll get a little a little preamble, but I'm not going to get to the same level of detail. And I'm going to leave a few people out of it, not going to identify them. They'll be identified in the book, but I'm not going to say it now. But basically, uh, I got to go back to the year 2000. That was after whole people had been written off and we'd sold Amrion and the whole mess was now out of the way. But I had alienated a couple of directors and there were two directors and an ambitious executive who really wanted me to go and the executive, other executive to take my place. And so there was no other way to put it. It was, there was a coup attempt and, uh, there was a power struggle. I won, they lost. And, uh, uh, but it was a total wake-up call for me. And that launched, really, I realized, you know what, John, you've got to grow. You have got to learn more. You've got to be more emotionally intelligent. You, how did this ever happen? You should have seen this coming. You weren't paying attention. You were taking your position for granted. You weren't listening well enough. You weren't thoughtful enough. You hadn't. And so, and you, most importantly, I needed a better relationship with my board of directors. I realized, you know what? I need to cultivate this board. I need to, I need to, I need to spend time with them. I need, to, I need to call them up and make sure that they feel like I'm listening to them and that they're, and they're being heard and that we're acting on a lot of their suggestions. So, and then I took advantage of that executive departing to promote people that were actually better. And that launched a tremendous period of growth for Whole Foods Market after I began to wake up to become a more conscious leader, combined with really the promotions of Walter Robb and A.C. Gallo to the 
chief operating officer positions, and then they became co-presidents, and then Walter came on to become co-CEO until he retired from the company back in 2016. And um, we had a, such a good team, and we just, we just rocked and rolled, and we just were, companies shot up. We grew 10x over the next 15 years. So we really, really, that was explosive growth. The stock price went up. It was really happy times. Hold tight, everyone. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there, and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence, and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to Indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist Education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out The Economist Education course Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. 
This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. So I, I love how you mentioned that you made some physical changes in terms of changing the people around you and your team. But how about mentally? Like what shifted inside of you in the way that you thought and connecting with your purpose with Whole Foods and, and what shifted mentally for you? You know, I, the best analogy, I think, is kind of like a near-death experience. I nearly died as CEO. And a near-death experience is, a, if you don't wake up then, you know, when will you wake up? It's like if you've had a heart attack, you better wake up and, you're go- and, and change your diet and your lifestyle. Or you're going to have another one. You, you, you've been given the final warning, if, you know, and you're lucky that it wasn't, it wasn't that you didn't die at that first heart attack. That's a wake-up call. It was really one of the best things that ever happened to me. I think a person is wise if... The th- the most terrible events, if they view them as that's their best opportunity to grow, a crisis is the best opportunity you'll ever have to accelerate your personal growth. Take advantage of it. And uh, that, uh, Rahm Emanuel said a crisis is a terrible thing to waste back in the, when he was chief of staff for President Obama. Well, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste for anybody to waste because it's a great opportunity to become a better leader, to become more conscious. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, 100%. So talk to us about why is it important for leaders to align to a higher purpose, and what higher purpose do you have at Whole Foods? Well, the higher purpose of Whole Foods is to nourish people on the planet. And there's a lot, There's a, if you unpack that, nourish is a very powerful word because it you can nourish people with food, but you can also nourish them with love. You can nourish with them with attention and appreciations, and there's lots of ways to nourish the people, that refers to all the stakeholders. All the stakeholders ultimately are people, right? And then uh, the planet, that means that's an environmental call, but it's also thinking about the larger planetary impacts on animals, on people that live in other countries. Whole Foods, you know, we purchase from 
God, I don't know, 80 different countries. So we have a, we have a connection to them and, and how we do business in those countries makes a difference. So purpose, we've already talked about purpose, right? And, and, and the importance of that and, and how I use the red blood cell metaphor. But here's, here's another way to think about it. Imagine for a minute that you think your purpose is to maximize profits. Okay, so it's you've, you, let's say you're doing your orientation for your employees. Now you've got a new crop of employees, new crop of team members at Whole Foods. And it's like, hey, so glad you decided to come work for Whole Foods. I want you to know while you're here, your purpose is to maximize profits and, and get our stock price up as high as possible. Anybody have a problem with that? Is that okay? That's what we're going to be doing. So whatever it takes, whatever it takes. How inspiring is that going to be to people? Think they're going to want it. They're going to, it's like, oh boy, I can't. I love working for Whole Foods. They're just trying to make as much money as possible. <laughs> um, what do you think is going to inspire people more? That we're trying to nourish people on the planet. We're tr- we're literally trying to sell the healthiest food in the world, and you're helping to do that. You're helping to sell food that from a higher degree of animal welfare. You're you're helping. A, a, we have our Source for Good program. When you're working for Whole Foods, you are working for a company that really does care about these things, and you're helping us to do more good in the world. That's far more magnetic. It's tr- it happens to be true. So I'm not saying that you should say these things that they're not true, because they'll know if you're authentic or not. But if it's authentic, and you mean those things, and you walk the talk, and you live it, well, that inspires people. You're going to People are going to work harder and do a better job. They're going to be more creative because they align with the mission and purpose. I've had many debates on this purpose question with people that think purpose business maximize money. And, I, and they're almost never people that are entrepreneurs that are running a business. They're intellectuals or they're economists or they're or whatever. And I would say, you know, I wish I could compete against you because there's nothing easier than competing against a business that only cares about making money. And you will lose in the long run. That's the paradox of it. And if you want to maximize long-term profits, don't aim for it. And I'll use a metaphor to prove my point, or at least to give evidence for it. If you believe the purpose of life is to be happy, you've made a huge categorical mistake. If you pursue happiness as your goal in life, I almost guarantee you, you will not find it. Because what happens when you pursue your own personal happiness is you're thinking about yourself primarily, and you're kind of in a narcissistic world. And that does not lead to happiness. What leads to happiness is love and caring about other people and having a purpose that makes a difference in the world, that, that, that you're creating value for other people. Purpose and love, they lead to happiness. So when you make happiness the primary goal, you've made a mistake and you will not find it. But if you're just striving to fulfill a higher purpose and you're just trying to be loving and helping other people, then you'll find happiness. It comes indirectly. It ensues when you don't directly pursue it. Well, that's the same way with profits. Ultimately, your profits will come about better as a result of fulfilling a higher purpose because you're going to then create the value for customers and that will lead to more profits. If you aim and make profits your primary goal, you will sub-optimize in the long term. So I want to get into conscious culture, but first I did want to get a little bit more detail about the qualities of a conscious leader in terms of integrity, honesty, truth-telling, authenticity, things like that. Yeah. Well, the first four chapters of the book sort of kind of sum it up. The first chapter is put purpose first, and we talked about that, so I don't need to talk about it anymore. The second one is lead with love. 
And love is, it's in the closet in corporate America. It's not talked about. It's a, and by love, I don't mean romantic love. I mean love in the sense of caring about other people, being compassionate, thoughtful, kind, generous. And it's in the closet primarily because people think love is weak. That's the, they think they're at war. The metaphors we use in business are all hyper-competitive metaphors. It's all this, you know, it's we've got to kill our competitors. We've got to, uh, let's roll. There's all these army war metaphors. Let's go to the war room and plot out our, our, our grand strategy here. Or they are Darwinian metaphors. It's survival of the fittest. It's a jungle out there. Only the paranoid survive. Or they are hyper-competitive sports metaphors. And in typical sports, there's one winner and everybody else is a loser. So there's an obsession about winning. Winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. And so you, you get obsessed with winning. You get obsessed in defeating someone else. And these are the metaphors that generally we use to think about. There are other ones, too. They're, now we have a lot of tech metaphors. And, but the, the metaphors structure our consciousness and the way we think about things. And most of the dominant metaphors are hyper-competitive metaphors. And when you're at war, there really is no place for love. Yeah. Or check all that wimpy love stuff at the door here because we are going, we're going into battle and I need everybody ready. I don't want, I don't want any love here. Forget that stuff. And so there's kind of a macho, and there has been traditionally a macho boys culture, which it's about winning, it's about killing the other side. And uh, so love is something you don't have in the workplace. It's something you do outside the workplace. Now, think about how, I want to point out a few things. How inhuman is it or unhuman is it to not be able to bring your whole self to the workplace, just this narrow part of your being, this, this competitive part of your being is what's allowed to be in there. And the rest of the stuff you do with your friends, you do that with, at home with your family. But so you're basically dividing yourself in two. You're, you're leaving the loving self at home and you're bringing the tough guy self to work. But more importantly even than that is that love is the glue that holds a company together. It's, that's that unites the teams. It's why customers keep coming back, because they feel appreciated. They feel like you care about them. And, and one reason Whole Foods is such a good company to work for and why we've was named 100 best companies to work for for 20 consecutive years is if you get these two things right, Hala, I almost promise you you'll be successful in business. The first one is purpose, because if you put purpose first, you're, you've got like your GPS going in the right direction. And if you lead with love you're going to create such loyalty from your people that you work with, from the people that you're serving with customers, your suppliers. When you take care of your suppliers, they, you become a, 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 a customer they like to deal with. So purpose and love. People never want to leave your organization. Why would they? They've got the two most important things in life at work, purpose and love. And those are the things people crave. We crave meaning. And we simultaneously crave, we want people to care about us. Of course, the secret to getting the people care about you is to care about them. <laughs> you get back what you give. And if you're focused on just yourself, like your own personal happiness, you're not going to find it. So the third one after those is integrity. Integrity in everything you do. It's hard to, takes a lifetime to build a reputation of integrity and you can, you can pretty much destroy it in a single day with some 
acts that are that have, lack integrity. And I would say, in, in my experience in business and life, integrity is not. It's not extremely rare. I meet people all the time that I think have integrity. But I'll also say I don't think it's that common. And integrity means a lot of things. First of all, of course, it means truth-telling. And let's face it, by the time you're two years old, you've become a master at lying. Anybody that's ever had small children is amazed at how skillfully and quickly their children learn how to lie so they can, and, and how they can fool their parents. So we have to learn how to tell the truth because it's the natural thing is basically to protect ourselves and to tell whatever is necessary to do that. And then authenticity. We generally, we crave authenticity, but in a cancel culture world, oftentimes the authentic people are the ones that, they, you know, that say what they really think and feel and they get canceled. We say we want it, but when it shows up, we oftentimes are frightened of it and we seek to destroy it. But authenticity is one of the qualities of integrity, honesty, authenticity, trustworthiness. When, we, when you meet somebody that truly um, has integrity, you will find that you trust them because you know they're going to deliver on what they say. You know they're, they're, they're going to act in a right, they're going to try to do the right thing. And that, therefore, the other quality of, of integrity is moral courage. You have to be willing to do the right thing in the circumstances, even if people may not like you, even if you may get shouted at, even if you may risk being canceled, if you have integrity, you will face that fear and you will do what is right, regardless. And that, as, we, as the stakes get higher, integrity becomes rarer. Most people hide. They don't want to be hurt. They don't, and so they, they're willing to hide their integrity in order. They don't have the moral courage and they don't take the risk. So integrity is very important and it's one of the, it's one of the most important virtues that we should cultivate. And by the way, purpose, love, integrity, these are qualities that you develop. You, you have to develop these within you. You have to practice them. These are practices. People say, love is an emotion, John. Actually, there's an emotional component to love. I mostly see love as a set of skills. To be loving is not just to have a feeling. It's to practice gratitude, generosity, kindness, care, compassion, forgiveness. And the more you practice them, the better you get at them. You get more skillful. Because we all know every day we aren't always loving in every instinct with everybody you encounter. And But if we become aware that, oh, that was a kind of a bad thing to say. I'm, I, hey, I'm really sorry I said that. I was out of line. Or, uh, oh, gosh, I should be more patient. I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I should be more patient and let people finish what they're saying. That's, that's one I'm always continuing to work on. So integrity is the same way. We, these are skills that we develop. And the final thing I want to say on the conscious leadership, if we skip to culture, there's a lot more to the book, obviously. I am very, very high on our fourth chapter, which is find win-win-win solutions. I'm a great believer in win-win-win. And this is something that's not understood about business because we use these sports metaphors in in, in in a sports metaphor, there's somebody that wins and somebody that loses. There's a, for every winner, there's a loser. And people tend to think that that's the way business is. Winners take all and that everybody else is that. But that's not how business works. That is a fundamentally wrong metaphor. Business is really a win-win-win game because you have all these stakeholders that are voluntarily trading with each other for mutual benefits and gain. When customers come in, they're both winning. The, whole, the company's winning and they're winning. They're, nobody's forcing them to trade with us. They have competitive alternatives in the marketplace. 
They come in because they like our particular combination of quality, selection, service, ambiance, and prices, or they wouldn't trade with us. And in fact, most people don't trade with Whole Foods. We were 22 billion, but we got like a 3% market share of the United States. So 97% of the other grocery business is going somewhere else. So they do have plenty of alternatives in the marketplace. So every one of those stakeholders is benefiting when they trade. So business is the ultimate win-win-win game where customers are winning, team members, employees are winning, suppliers are winning, investors are winning, and the community that we're all part of is winning because philanthropy comes out of the success of the business, taxes comes out of the success of the business that funds government and non uh, profits and government respectfully. So I put... And we don't naturally think win-win, though. We don't think win-win-win. But the third win, by the way, good for you, good for me, and good for the larger community that we're all part of. And that's a way, a framework, that's a way to think about the world. And it's a skill. And so whenever I'm making a decision, I always ask this important question, is anybody losing here? And if somebody's losing, if one of the stakeholders is losing, then it's probably not a good decision. I need to go back and be more imaginative. I need to look for the win-win-win so that no one is actually losing, that all the major stakeholders are winning. And then once you begin to think that way, you give your mind permission to be creative in that direction. And it begins to come up with solutions that you didn't know were possible. Because you, if you just refuse to not compromise on the first solution that comes to mind, if it's a bad solution, it ends up hurting people or hurting someone, someone's losing. So... Business is inherently a win-win-win game, but we can do it in a different way where we, we don't make trade-offs all the time, where somebody else is gaining and someone else is losing. We need to try as best as possible to move away from that trade-off mentality and ask the question, how do we make sure that all of us are winning together? Yeah, I love that advice because in business and negotiations, everybody always assumes that there's a winner and a loser, but there doesn't have to be. If, if it's a good negotiation, they're both winning. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So really quick, where can people go get conscious leadership? I want to make sure you're able to let everybody know. Well, hopefully if you went to one of our stores, you could get it there, but uh, sometimes they don't have it. You can buy it. You certainly can buy it at Amazon. And uh, I guess I'll recommend Amazon since I they own Whole Foods. Uh, so, and... And you can, the easiest way to get it is if you have a Kindle is just to download it. And it's cheaper that way too. I read most, I read most of my books on my Kindle. I listened to the Audible version and I loved I it. Do that. So I, I do highly that recommend the Audible. Yes. And you know, I'll, there's a story there that the guy that, um, that did the, did the, did the Audible, did the voiceover. I've listened to him. Um, his name's escaping me. It's Michael, somebody or another. I forget his last name. But I've listened to a number of books where he was the reader and I said, I love this guy. I actually bought a couple of books just to listen to him read the book. So when I was talking to the publisher, they said, is there any writer, any, any, any reader you'd like? And I said, yeah, I want this guy. And they called him up and he did it. So I was very happy about he's that. Really he's good. really good. Yeah, he's really good. I love the Audible version. So make sure you guys go check that out. I love that book. Lots of actionable advice on how you can become a conscious leader as well. So just really quick, I want to touch on conscious leadership because as we heard about, Whole Foods is quite often ranked as a top place to work. And you do a couple things that really prioritize employees and help retain them. One of them is ending every meeting with appreciation. And another one that I heard is that you guys make salaries transparent across the company, or at 
least you did at one point. So I'd love to kind of hear about the way that you make employees feel prioritized and uh, the way that you retain them. Well, I will tell you, Hala, if, if you got nothing else out of this entire podcast, but this one thing, it, it, you will transform your organization because at Whole Foods, we end all our meetings with appreciations. And I promise you, when you that is a transformative technology. It's a very simple thing to do. We just set time aside at the end of the meetings to give. It's voluntary. Nobody has to appreciate. But when people give authentic appreciations, two wonderful things happen. One is you may not, somebody gives you, I will give you an example. Uh, I recently, because I'm doing this farewell tour, and I was touring in this region. And after it was over, I got this email that from a guy that I was pretty sure didn't like me. I just kind of never got a vibe from him. And he wrote me the most amazing letter where he just said how much he loved Whole Foods, how much he loved me, and how much a difference I'd made in his life, and how grateful he was. And, and it was like, I just felt fantastic. It's like, wow, I didn't even think he liked me. And here he is telling me that I'm, and he was just oftentimes just kind of a little nervous or he was around me, tongue-tied a little bit. I intimidated him, I suppose. And so I felt great. And so obviously that helps in any, in any kind of, team situation when you you may think somebody doesn't like you and then they appreciate you and you feel that it's authentic, you change your attitude towards them completely like I just did to that individual. But the real gainer in appreciations is whoever doing the appreciation. Because when you do an authentic appreciation, intrinsically, you're opening your heart to do so. We make a, you got to make a distinction between an authentic appreciation and, and a flattery. Flattery is when somebody's just saying something and they're manipulating you in a way. They don't really mean it. They're saying it because they think you want to hear it. And we know the difference. People can, most of the time, we can tell the difference between somebody who's really authentically appreciating it and, who's, and somebody who's trying to flatter us. And, and so when we do the authentic appreciation, we, we, we have to open our hearts to do it. That is so good for us. Every time we express love to other people, we're like reinforcing a pattern in our psyche, the love pattern. So I, I always take advantage of the appreciations times at Whole Foods. I just look around the room and I'm thinking about who do I feeling really good about right now? And you guys end every meeting that way. Like you give, you say like, give your appreciation if you have any. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little secret. It took me years to let, get our board of directors to do it. After we did that, started doing it, the board of directors, I never had another board of director ever leave voluntarily. They loved coming to the board meetings. And that's part of the reason they loved coming to the board meetings. There was this kind of, there's kind of a love in and so at whole, in, our, in our leadership meetings, we actually had to cut off appreciations because they were going on too long. It's like, we got to do some work too. And so first, we used to be unlimited appreciations. And then it was, we went down to three. And now it's, you get one appreciation, so really make it count. So please try that, anybody that's listening to this. I promise you, you will, once you do it, I've seen a lot of my friends have started doing it in their companies and they come back, always come back and say, that was the greatest thing. I can't believe we waited so long to do it. I can't wait to implement that uh, with my team. We do gratitude Fridays on Slack, but this seems even more powerful because it's like everybody's on the call. You can hear it and, and it's just, you're just opening up space every time to increase that bond with, with everyone. So I love that. And let's talk about transparent uh, salaries just really quick, and and then I'll I'll be letting you go. Yeah, that one's that one's uh, it still exists at Whole Foods, but I implemented that many years ago, thirty years ago, because people were it's almost human nature to be envious of each other, and oftentimes 
there's also can be unfairness in the wages. So once you put a transparent system and everybody else knows what gets what they're getting paid, a, a couple of very good things come from that. One good thing is is that you begin to see who are the highest paid people. So it, it gives you career direction. It's like, well, I want to go the direction that that Beth is in because look, she's look how much money she's making. And uh, I want to be like Beth because she's getting, you know, she's getting paid a lot of money. So it, it kind of, it helps direct people into the, and somebody else is like, well, you know, Tom has paid a lot less money than I thought. I, I don't, I don't want to go down that path. That's, that, so it, it sort of gives career direction. And secondly, it also, if you're the team leader and you know everybody's going to see what you're paying people, you better be able to justify it. You can't just play favorites. And if somebody confronts you, it's like, well, how come you're paying uh, Larry that much money? And it's like, well, here's why I'm paying Larry that much money. One, two, three, four. If you do those things Larry does, I'll pay you that much money. So it's recognizing that envy is sort of intrinsic to human nature and taking it head on and basically saying, okay, people are going to be envious. So let's go ahead and open it up, make it transparent, and we can get it out on the table and deal with it. And it also means you're probably not going to overpay somebody if you're going to get called on it. So you have to be able to justify it because you're going to, you may get asked about it. So let's talk about your retirement. You were 43 years at Whole Foods. Now you're retiring. Do you have anything that you want to say about your retirement and your plans for the future? Well, um, it'll be 44 years when I retire. Uh, September 1st, I gave notice about it. almost gave a year's notice. It gives me a last farewell tour. It allows... My replacement, you know what it is? Whole Foods gets used to the idea of me not being there anymore. And frankly, it gives me a chance to get used to the idea of not being there. Yeah, I'll take more time off when I retire, but honestly, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna do a teaser on this one. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what I'm doing, but I am gonna start another business. And um, it'll be in the wellness health category. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And uh, I've got a lot of my retired executives from Whole Foods that built, I built the company with are partnering up with me on it. So I'm kind of bringing the old band back together. Yeah, so you'll hear about it. And you'll remember we talked, I, that I teased it out, but I didn't give any details. So but I say in a year or so, that'll be pretty much in the public domain. Cool. So we'll look out for that. So we always close the interview with the same questions. What is one piece of actionable advice that my listeners can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? Nothing I could tell you would make your business more profitable tomorrow because most of it will take a little time for it to develop. But in the spirit of what I think you asked that question, what can I tell your listeners that will help their business become more successful and profitable? I would say Think about how you can create more value for your customers. No one is forced to trade with you. They trade with you because they are getting something from the exchange. So how can you create more value for your customers? You should ask that question every single day. Ask that question constantly. How can I create more value? And you know what? If you start asking the question, you'll start seeing ways that you can create more value, and that will lead to more profits. Love that. And what is your secret to profiting in life? And this can be beyond just financial. What is your secret to profiting in life? Follow your heart. Most people are too afraid to do it. And they get all, they get sidetracked into something that doesn't lead to happiness. Follow your heart wherever it, got, wherever it leads you. And I mean by heart, I mean your passions, your purpose, the, the inner voice that's in, within each of us. Follow that inner voice. Trust it. Don't let fear hold you back. If you do, you'll have a Life's an adventure. You should go for it. Follow your heart. Oh, I love that. Super powerful, short and sweet. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do, John? Um, you probably can't. I'm not on any social media yet. 
although I'm thinking about adding that on now that I'm getting, uh, I can't be on social media because of the, of the whole food st- stuff. It's very difficult. People are, um, I, I, I got on LinkedIn for one day and I, I, I had thousands of people. I'm going to be putting my toe into social media in the next few months. So you'll, you'll probably see me. I'll, I'll, I'll get in there and we'll manage it intelligently. Maybe I'll have her contact you. Yes, we're going to stick all of your links in the show notes so people know where to get your book. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for unpacking your wisdom. Thank you. You have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. So I loved this episode. I've admired John for a long time as a CEO, and it was incredible to be able to host a one-on-one with one of the most influential CEOs of our time. And so I'm very excited for the future John has coming up as he retires and starts his new business. And I will certainly be keeping tabs on him. Well, let's get into some of the key takeaways from the episode. If you guys are a longtime listener, you know that I do not skimp on the outros. I love to give a summary and make sure that all the key messages really stick with you. And in this episode, something that stuck out to me was a higher purpose. We talked about how important a higher purpose is when it comes to starting a company or even when you're just considering applying for a job at a company. And what it boils down to is that in order to become successful over the long term, a business must provide true value. This is the why or the reason a company exists. When I started Young and Profiting, my higher purpose was to help people accomplish their dreams and lead a better, more successful life, both financially and professionally. I had super pure intentions. I never thought that Yap would make any money. I never thought that I'd even be able to take Yap full time. I was just giving back, being of service and following my passion and purpose. And because I was so focused on my passion and purpose, I was magnetic. I wasn't worrying about monetization. I was wasn't worrying about if this was going to be a lucrative endeavor or not. And I was able to then attract other people who believed in me and who believed in Yap's mission. And we created an amazing team that was focused on one singular goal. And then the money and success followed after that. We actually just celebrated Yap's four-year anniversary, and we're still guided by that same purpose of helping others accomplish their dreams, whether they're listeners or clients. So if you're wanting to start a business or a side hustle, really ask yourself about what the purpose of the business is and figure out how your business contributes to the greater good. I promise you won't regret that. Find a purpose beyond just the financial gain of your company. Plus, you're going to be putting in a lot of hours starting a business or a side hustle. So you want to make sure you're investing that time into something that matters beyond just trying to fill up the bank. Because like we've learned on this podcast time and time again, money does not create happiness. Purpose does. So let's jump into conscious leadership next. Being a leader is without a doubt one of the most important roles that I play. But it isn't always that easy. And I've noticed it's something I have to be intentional about. Like John says, conscious leadership is something that takes practice, which reminds me of a concept called talent stacking. Listen, young and profiters, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Everything we do and everything we learn ultimately helps us in the long run, especially when it comes to failures. So do your best to lead with love and integrity and learn from the mistakes you make along the way. Your leadership style will grow and evolve over the course of your career. Just be sure you're going it consciously and with intention. I wanted to leave you with the idea that business isn't war. If we're practicing conscious capitalism, we can all win. And by all of us, I really mean everyone, employees, CEOs, customers, vendors, you name it. It's a win, win, win situation. 
I'm really tired of these black and white win and lose mentalities when it comes to business. If I'm winning, you're winning. And if you're winning, I'm winning. Collaboration over competition. That's what I always say. So young and profiters, let's get out there and get after it. And while we're talking about win, 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 why don't you help us out and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? This is the number one way to support us here at Young and Profiting Podcast. And if you haven't yet, join my text community, Gap Society, powered by Slick Text. If you join this community, you'll receive texts from me, special offers, exclusive app content, and you get to help guide the future of this podcast. So go ahead and text YAP, Y-A-P to 28046. That's Y-A-P to 28046 or check out the show notes to find that sign up link. And while you're at it, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yap with Hala. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Thanks as always for tuning in to another incredible episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. And thanks so much to my amazing Yap team. I couldn't do this without you guys. This is Hala signing off.